Bible, won't you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews way, way over in the New Testament. Way over. So if you go to the end of your Bible, if you're not familiar with where Hebrews is, go all the way to the back page and start turning to the left. Let me see if I can count this down backwards. You'll get to Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, 2 Peter, 1 Peter, James, Hebrews. How about that? Now, I won't try to go any further because I'm going to get really confused when I start putting them all back. But that's where you'll find. All right, so Hebrews chapter 12. We'll camp out there today so you can hold your place there and leave your Bible open. And if you don't, uh, as I tell you from time to time, if you don't have a Bible, and I really mean this, if you don't have one that's a copy that, uh, that is yours, that you can read throughout the week and study and learn from, then let us know. We would be happy to tell you what, a, what uh, maybe a comparison between different versions, what might be the best one for you to look at. And, and if you're a person who says, you know what, I, I just can't afford one, let us know. And I mean that. We'd be happy to, to uh, connect you with one. Please don't be embarrassed about that in any way. We, we want you to have a copy of God's Word. So look with me in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at the first three verses this morning. The writer of Hebrews here says this, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before Him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. What's going on here in this particular book, in Hebrews, is a really fascinating read. The author is anonymous, meaning that somebody wrote it, but we're not sure who it is. Some folks have suggested that the Apostle Paul was the author. Some have suggested that a man named Apollos, that you see, wake up, a man named Apollos that you see, in the New Testament was the author. Others, there have been probably at least a dozen, maybe two dozen suggestions on who wrote this. And you say, what difference does it make? This morning, not a whole lot of difference to us. I'm not going to try to give you a seminary lecture on who wrote the book of Hebrews. The important thing is that whoever wrote it was inspired by God to write these words toward an audience that desperately needed to hear them. Because if you read the book of Hebrews, and I'd suggest you get a little study guide to go along with you if you're going to read through it. It's a great book. probably need a little help in, in understanding the context and a little background information. But if you read the book of Hebrews, what you find is that the author of this book is writing to an audience that's struggling with its faith in the Lord. It's an audience that has come to faith in Jesus Christ, but is, is having a lot of doubts. It's being tempted to turn and go the other way. Now, I won't make you raise your hand the minute if you've ever felt that way, but if you have... And you'll find some commonality with the book of Hebrews. Having a lot of doubts about their faith. They faced some, not only hardship, just like we all do, but they faced persecution. They faced hardship like we've never known. And as a result, they're, they're sort of on the fence. Are we going to continue with our commitment to Jesus Christ, or are we going to say, forget the whole thing? And that's what the writer of Hebrews writes to. And so if you see in, in the book of Hebrews, you'll see these these arguments for why they should continue in their faith. And it's written primarily to Jewish Christians who are tempted to turn back to Judaism. So he's contrasting the, the completeness and how much better Jesus is than what Judaism was. Now he's the fullness of all that, and he's trying to urge them on. Keep going. 
Keep pursuing Him. Don't quit. Don't stop. And in chapter 11, what some of you have come to know is the Hall of Faith. Maybe you've read chapter 11 in Hebrews before, and you see how the writer, if you just look at it, turn back a page or two, look at it in Hebrews chapter 11. He lays out different people, and I'm going to read the whole thing to you, but he talks about Noah in verse 7, and Abraham in verse 8, and, and then over in verse, uh, 20, verse 20 is Isaac, and, and then he talks about Moses, and he goes on and he talks about it, and he eventually gets to the point where he says, look, I could list lots and lots of people who have gone on before us and who have persevered And he says, we've got something even better than they had. We've got the full revelation of God in Jesus Christ. So don't turn back. You look at them as a great example, as inspiration, and you see Jesus as the completion of all this, and keep going, he says, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, keep going. So you kind of get the picture of what he's he's painting here today. And the reason that, that I go to this scripture this morning is because Over the last several weeks, we've been in a series where we've seen a lot of these witnesses. And we've seen their examples, and and we've seen what God had done in their lives. And and we look at our lives and we say, well, yeah, I face something similar, but I live in 21st century America. (laughs) It's different now. Times have changed. What am I supposed to do? And I hope today to show you some of what we can take from this particular passage. In thinking about that, let me ask you a question. If after church today... I told you that we are going to have, surprise to you, okay? I know most of you don't like surprises, but let me, let me pull one on you. We, we are going to have today, after church, the first annual Elm Grove Baptist Church Marathon. Some of you are laughing. You don't think I'm serious. We are going to have today, let me try this again, the first annual, annual, every year, you get it? All right, first annual. Elm Grove Baptist Church Marathon. Some of you are still laughing. All right, let me move forward. 26.2 miles. Miles, not feet, miles. 26.2. We're going to do that after church. If I were to tell you and pull that surprise on you, let me get a show of hands. How many are ready for that? Okay, all right, let me put my hand back down too because I'm not ready for that. Wouldn't it be interesting, though, if, if all of a sudden we realized, hey, today after church, we're going to run a marathon. I would first have to say, uh, you know, I've got some lunch plans, I think, that just came up right after church. I'm not sure I can make it. I'll maybe catch you in, a, you know, several years. Um, maybe I would say, you know, maybe not 26.2, but I could get the point two. You know, I'd mean, leave the other 26 hanging. I'd get the point two miles. You know, I could crawl that far if I needed to. But I would venture to say that none of us, none of us are ready for that. I know physically I'm not ready for that. My goodness, that takes a lot of training. That takes several months. Have anybody ever run a marathon? How many months? You, you all have run a marathon. How many months did you train? About a year. Wow. Danny, you've, you've run it before? The 13.1? How long did you train? One below that one. All right, well, we're going to move on. <clears throat> You can, listen, no, no, it's fine. You, you, you had to train for it, and, and now you call it a marathon. Absolutely, cl- close enough. All right, <clears throat> what are we talking about? All right, so, <clears throat> a year, a year's worth of training. I, amazing, I don't know if any of you have tried to train for something specifically, but if I were to pull something on you like that today, even if you've already run a marathon, you say, uh-uh, not today, I don't think I'm going to try that. But the truth is, what we see in Hebrews chapter 12 is that this writer compares life to a race. And not a sprinting race, but one that requires endurance. We're going to leave these, these walls today and enter a marathon. 
We've already been in one, whether you realize it or not. A marathon called Life. And it requires lots of endurance, and we'll see that today. As we prepare and leave here today for that race that we'll all re-enter, it's a race that's not one of competition, as if I'm trying to outdo Danny to be faster or better than him in life. That's not what it's about. But it is a race, a marathon for each one of us individually and for us collectively as the body of Christ known as Elm Grove Baptist Church. So there's not a winner and not a loser in all of this that we see in the Scripture, but it is a race that each of us must run. So I guess in preparing for that, let me ask you, how you doing? How's your race going? How's your marathon in life going? Take an inventory real quick. What path are you on? Is it, a, is it an easy path? Is it a very difficult path? Is it a wise path that you're on? Is it a foolish path? Is there joy in your race that you're running? Are you enduring or are you just about to wear out and give up? I'd imagine that we're all over the board on that. Some folks say, you know what, I know life's a marathon and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just enduring right now. I'm going forward and I'm doing the best I can. Others would say, you know what, there's been some joy in my journey recently. Some of you would say, I don't have any clue what's ahead. <laughs> I really don't. Some would say, you know, I'm to the point where I'm just ready to give up. What about your life as a, as a Christian? The Christian race that God has marked out for you. Is it what you expected? Some of you have been Christians for a long time. And you're in a new stage of life. Is it what you expected? Is life with Christ what you thought it would be? I have to admit to you, sometimes, <laughs> not, not at all. Didn't expect that. Wasn't thinking that was going to happen. I, I wasn't ready for certain things. What do you want to be able to say at the end of your race? When you, when you reach that finish line, known as death, and you stand before the Lord. I tell you what I would want to be able to say. It's what the Apostle Paul said. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's all I want to be able to say. There's not a whole lot more that, that life comes down to as a Christian than those things. Maybe today you'd like to say the same thing. And you say, well, how, how do I do that? How do I ensure that that is what I say? How do I ensure that I experience that joy at the finish line in life and joy along the way? Let me give you a timeless, timeless truth from Hebrews chapter 12. That joy at the finish line requires endurance in the race. Joy at the finish line requires endurance in the race. I want to show you this morning briefly three things that we can begin to adapt as disciplines in our lives and begin to see God work through those to produce in us not just joy at the finish line when we receive the ultimate prize of heaven as believers in Jesus Christ, but also joy along the way and how we can endure in this race of life. Now, the word endurance is, I think, given a, a negative connotation. It just, you're just putting up with something. I'm just enduring this. That's not what it's about. As we'll see that, there's a lot of joy that comes from endurance. How do you endure and how do you win that ultimate prize? The first thing that this writer lays out here in Hebrews chapter 12 is to run light. Run light. Therefore, he says, verse 1, look at it with me. Since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. What he's talking about here is in the idea of a runner in a race taking anything off that is not absolutely necessary to success in the race. Removing anything from the course that will get in the way and trip him up. Now you have probably seen, maybe you were an athlete at one point. I, that is becoming a distant memory for me when I used to be some sort of an athlete. But maybe you have seen before runners train. Maybe it's a marathoner or a long-distance runner or a sprinter or something like that, but you've seen them train, and they, they use different training tools. Maybe they'll wear a, a sort of a heavy jacket, a weighted jacket, and they'll run with that so that when they take that off, they feel really light. Maybe you've seen somebody pull a, a, a sled behind them with weights on it. One of the things that Murray State has, I've seen those sprinters out there before, and they'll, they'll get going, they've got it strapped on, and there's a big sled behind them, it's got couple hundred pounds of weight, and here they go trying to take off with that. Maybe you've seen them train with a parachute before. You ever seen that? They've got a parachute behind them, and they take off. And, you know, I was always safe with that because there's no way I was ever going to get fast enough to somehow leave the ground. You know, there's no danger in that. But, but it would be absolutely ridiculous. Think about the stupidity of trying to run a race with all that stuff on. And yet, many of us, from time to time or quite often, go through life weighted down by a lot of stuff that we don't have to carry. It would be ridiculous to see at the starting line of a marathon somebody come up with a jacket full of weights that weighs about 35 pounds, and you look at them and say, what are you doing? Do you even want to finish this thing? You'd say, take that off. You don't understand. You're not going to be able to carry that. Through the whole race, take that off. The writer here says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares. What in life is weighing you down? What is getting in your way of running the race that God has marked out for you? The writer here speaks of sin in general, which encompasses the sin of unbelief, certainly. Encompasses all the sins that we can think of. John, the Apostle John over in 1 John would later write about the sin of, of worldliness, of selfishness, of, of uncontrolled desire, materialism, and, and believing that your worth is seen in what you have and what you can do. And those are some things that tend to weigh us down. Doubt, pride, laziness, greed, hatred, jealousy, idolatry. All these things serve to weigh us down. The writer here says, why are you carrying that? There's no way that you can have endurance in life if you're still carrying the weight of your own sin around everywhere with you. And you say, well, I'm supposed to carry the weight of my sin. I've done it. I'm just paying the consequences. I want you to know that Jesus went to the cross for that very reason. To set you free from the weight of your sin, both now and for all eternity. To give you right standing with God to where your sin is now removed and His righteousness is now on top of you and covering you. You're not meant to carry the weight of your sin around through life. So the writer says, lay it aside. Maybe today for the very first time you step up to the starting gate and you say, I'm going to run this race again and I'm going to keep going and instead of carrying all this junk around with me, I'm going to leave it here. And maybe today at the end of our service, I'm not going to give the invitation yet, but maybe today at the end of our service, you would receive the invitation 
both, both in reality and symbolically, to come forward and to say, you know what? I'm going to leave all that stuff with the Lord. I'm not going to carry around those sins anymore, that guilt, that shame that Jesus died for. I'm not carrying it around anymore. Is that stuff real in my life? Absolutely. But I'm not carrying it around anymore. I'm going to receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that He paid once and for all. And leaving here today, as I re-enter the marathon, I'm going to run light. I'm going to run without those obstacles. I'm going to run without all that stuff weighing me down. Throw all that stuff aside, he says. There may be some of us here today who simply need to say, you know what, I recognize that, yes, I'm putting weights on myself and I keep taking on sin that's not to be a part of my life. And today I repent of all that sin. I'm turning around and walking the other way and re-entering the race of life having been forgiven of all those things. Forgiveness is available this morning. The truth is there are simply some things in life that just have to be rejected in order for us to run effectively. Sin, the effects of our sin, all that needs to be jettisoned in order for us to be able to run with perseverance. Joy at the finish line requires endurance in the race. And endurance in the race requires, first of all, that we run light, free of our sin, free from those detrimental habits. Secondly, he points us to our need to run determined. To run determined. Verse 1 says at the very end, and run with endurance the race that lies before us. He emphasizes here that as Christians, we have a course to complete in life, a goal to reach. He paints the picture of looking out, if you can, can imagine with me, and you're about to embark upon a course that is there before you. Maybe a trail you, you picture through the woods. Maybe it's a track that you're going to run on. But you, you picture standing there and saying, here's the race that lies before me. Here's what's been marked out. And each one of us has something that's unique in the race that we'll run. What lies ahead of you? You may be a person who's young today. And how about selfishly, I'll include anyone who's 34 and younger. as young. And because I love you, I'll just include anybody who still says they are young. How about that? But you may be a person who's young today. You may be a person who's somewhere in between. You may be a person who's older. And as you stand this morning and sort of looking out at the race that's been marked out for you, you're going to see some things that you know for certain lie ahead of you. You're also going to be surprised by some of the things that you find along the way. Some of you are facing this next school year. Some of you are in middle school, high school, and college. You're facing the beginning of a new school year and all the stuff that that brings, good, bad, and otherwise. Some of you are young enough to where you're, you're just now getting into your dating life. And there's a, a race, a course that's before you and it involves who you will date. Some of you are, are facing the prospects of, of whom you will marry. Some of you parents are dealing with whom your children will marry a new course, a new thing that lies before you in the race. Some of you will soon face the issue of parenting. Maybe you've, you, you're soon to get married or you're considering that or you're a young person and one of these days you look at it and say, you know what, I know that lies ahead of me. And then one day, some of you, myself included, will face the daunting task of raising teenagers. I love teenagers, I really do, and I mean that. I, when I say that, I really mean it. But we're going to have three all at once for about a three-year period. And so what little hair I've got left will be gone by that point. 
It'll be gray as it falls out, and I will uh, just say goodbye to it. But what about raising teenagers? Those of you that have children, maybe in middle school right now, and they're on that beginning stage, or those of you that are right in the middle of it, some of you will eventually be a teenager, <laughs> and that's hard enough in, its, in itself. Some of you are soon to face the empty nest syndrome. Children have grown, and you've sent them away, or they keep trying to come back, and you keep sending them away again. You know how it works, and facing that. Some of you are soon to face middle age, old age, health issues. Eventually, we'll all face death, all of us. If you mix in with all of those natural life things, the emotional aspects that come with it, confusion, discontentment, disappointment, the ups and downs that we face, if you mix in with that the hurt that's caused by others, the hurt caused by broken relationships, the things that are said about you, done to you, you mix in the potential lost jobs, broken vehicles, unexpected expenses, all the things that could happen in life, and you stand here this morning looking out, at the race that lies before you. Some things you expect. It's going to be a part of life. Some things you're not expecting. What are you going to do with that? Endurance is needed. The writer here says, run with endurance the race that lies before us. Endurance is needed for those things that we'll encounter. Your faith and your patience are going to be tested as you move forward in this race. But it's faith and it's patience that enable us to run well. And to gain the victory that we so long for in life. Now, I'm not here this morning to give you a pep talk. I was a chaplain for two years for a football team in Louisville. And I used to love the pregame speeches of the coach. Football is different than any other sport when it comes to pregame speeches. Because your goal as a football coach, though I've never been one, but I've paid attention, is to get them ready to do anything at all, including causing great bodily harm, to win the game. If that means... That somewhere in the game, there's a brick wall in the middle of the field, and they have to figure out a way not to go around it or over it or under it, but through it with using nothing but their helmet and shoulder pads. That's your job as a football coach. So these, these speeches are, are, I was ready. You know what I mean? I, 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 here I am. I'm a, I'm, I'm a former athlete of some sort, and I ever played football in my life. I was ready to go. I'm looking for a helmet and shoulder pads and, and a uniform, you know, a jersey. Here I go. Let me get in there. That's not what I'm trying to do for you today. I'm not trying to get you fired up and we all leave here and we're going to shout, you know, and we scream and yell as we run out the church and I just slap you high five instead of shaking your hand. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't really believe that we need a, a real pep talk because I don't think that just getting all fired up is going to last. I don't think that pure emotionalism is what we're going for. I don't think that if we're going to run determined with endurance that we need some fake emotion or... We need the opposite, and that's to appear stoic about what happens in life. But I really believe that if we're going to run determined, run with endurance, that we need to understand the variety of life events that are going to happen. There's a lot that lies before us. And we need to deal with them not in our own strength, but in the strength and peace that come through the Spirit of God living in and through us. You don't need a pep talk from the outside. You need the filling of God's Spirit on the inside. Some of us are wondering how we're going to be prepared for all of that. You wonder, how can I endure things? How can I, how can I do what you're talking about doing? There was a 15th century monk named Thomas Akempis, and he said this about our preparation for the race. The better you prepare yourself to meet suffering, 
the more wisely will you act, and the greater will be your merit. You will bear all the more easily if your heart and mind are diligently prepared. Do not say, I cannot endure such things from this person, or I will not tolerate these things. He has done me great injury and accused me of things I never considered. From another person I might bear it and regard it as something that I must endure. Such thoughts are foolish, he says. For you ignore the merit of patience and him who rewards it. And think only of the person who has injured you and the wrong that you endure. You are not truly patient if you will only endure what you think fit and only from those whom you like. A truly patient person does not consider by whom he is tried, whether by his superior, his equal, or his inferior, whether by a good and holy man or by a perverse and wicked person, but however great or frequent the trial that besets him and by whatever agency it comes, he accepts it gladly as from the hand of God and counts it all as gain. What an incredible perspective on the race that lies before us. The things that we'll encounter that will be both joyous and hurtful. That will be both good and bad. That will come both from, from people we like and from people we don't. And he says, accept it gladly as from the hand of God and count it all as gain. See it as something God wants to use that will bring about the endurance that we need to run the race that lies before us. So run light, run determined, and finally, run focused. Run focused. Look at verse 2 and verse 3 in Hebrews 12. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before Him endured a cross and despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, considering Him, looking at Him and where He is now, sitting at the right hand of God's throne. I get to coach T-ball each year. And as I understand it, if my youngest daughter Nora plays this year, then I will again coach T-ball, and it will be three more years. I will, by the time that Duke grows up and potentially plays T-ball, I will have at least nine years of T-ball coaching experience. I will either be really, really, really good at coaching T-ball or just insane. I'm not sure which, or maybe I'm already insane. But, don't say amen. But, one of the, one of the more interesting things in coaching T-ball is trying to teach them to run the bases. The very first practice we had this year, I introduced them to each base. Literally. We went and took our team, and we stood around first base, and I said to our team, the Red Sox, I said, Red Sox, meet first base. First base, meet the Red Sox. And so we all said in unison, hello, first base. And we walked to second base, and we did the same thing. We repeated at each base. And invariably, though, they forget where first base is. And they hit the ball, and they just they take off running somewhere. And, and it's hilarious to watch. And it's, it's, even, it's even more funny to try to, to, to get their attention when they're running and their parents are yelling and screaming, and they all kind of think it's funny and cute. And I'm thinking, it's over, you know, it's over here, and I'm trying to get them to go. And, and they just sort of are wandering around, and, you know, and they take off, and they run out. You know, I'm the pitcher, you know, and they take off running out toward me, and you know, one, we had one child this year who just ran straight to third base, you know, and just, you know, it's over there. Anyway, and, 
what, 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 they, what I try to get them to do, the most important thing, if you want some baseball coaching tips right here, here you go. The most important thing for base runners to do is not necessarily, though it's important, to run fast. Certainly important. Not necessarily to, uh, to run the hardest, make it look like you're really striving to get there. The most important thing a base runner can do is to keep their eyes on the base they're running toward. Because if your eyes are not on the base you're running toward, you're never going to get there. You with me? You cannot run a straight line to first base without your eyes being right on first base. That's it. You can't do it. If you're looking in the stands at mama who's waving and thinks it's cute that you're running the second base, you're not going to get to first base. I try to impress this upon them. So I tell them, as soon as you start running, your eyes have to look directly at first base and nothing else. I think there's a correlation with what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. That Jesus is that fixed point that we must have our eyes on if we are to run a straight line toward where He is. We cannot have our eyes somewhere else. We cannot have our eyes on the things of this world. We cannot pursue the things that the world pursues and expect to move toward Jesus Christ. Instead, we'll run toward third base. The exact opposite on the field. And if we want to be people who find endurance in the race, who gain the prize of Jesus Christ for all eternity, our eyes must be on Him and on Him alone. The writer here says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because He's the source and perfecter of our faith. He's the trailblazer. He's the one who's gone before us. He is where we want to be. He's done what we want to do. He has made it. He sat down, it says, at the right hand of God's throne. We keep our eyes on Him because He's the one who shows us how to endure. We keep our eyes on Him because He's been through it. Consider Him who endured such hostility. It says He endured a cross. None of us in here will endure what Jesus endured. None of us in here will ever take on the sin of the world in ourselves and die for it. Some of us may face some hard times. Some of us may even face at some point in our lives, depending upon how our world goes, some persecution. I have no idea. But the writer here says, no matter what you face, consider Jesus, because He's faced more. Consider Him, because He's the pioneer of our faith. He's the one who shows us what real faith is all about. He's the one who has been there and done that. He's the one through whom we receive our strength, our comfort, our courage. He's the one and the, the only one that deserves our faith. Jesus is, throughout Hebrews, held up as better than what, the, than what Judaism had to offer. He's, he's held up as, as the better revelation of God, the full and complete Word of God. He's held up as, as the better rest, even better than the promised land that the Jews eventually experienced. He's, he's held up as better than anything this world has to offer. The same is true in our lives this writer here says, you keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the one that our faith comes from. He's the one that is to be the object of our faith. He is the one who has made it 
and run the race before us. He's the one that we find reason to be focused since he is God himself. So if you had to run a marathon this morning, would you make it? Or would you be like me and say, I'll take the point two, not the 26? Leaving those doors, these doors, flight attendant exits on both sides. Leaving these doors. You enter a marathon. Will you make it? Will you find joy at the finish line because of endurance in the race? Or will you give up and give out and sort of coast through life and forget the challenge that we see here in Hebrews 12? Will you, will you run light? Will you say today, if I need to come forward just as a, as a statement of the Lord, I'll do it. Today I'm going to run light. I need the Lord's forgiveness for the sin in my life and I'm going to ask Him for it this morning and I'm throwing off anything that's going to hinder me. I'm throwing off the sin. I'm going to ask for God's forgiveness and I'm going to move forward. I'm throwing off the guilt and the shame. I'm going to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ that He's removed all of that from me and I'll place my faith in Him. Maybe for the first time or maybe you'd simply say, you know what, Lord? I'm going to actually believe it this time. Maybe today you'd run light or you'd... Run determined to say, no matter what comes my way, I will fight the good fight. Fight! I will finish the race. I will keep the faith. Not by my own strength, which is going to run out by the time you get out the doors, but by the strength of Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit living inside of me. And maybe you'd say today, I'm going to run focused. I've been looking at a lot of different things, but first base. And I'm going to look at Jesus today. I'm going to look at Him. I'm going to... I'm going to move toward Him. This week, if you would receive the challenge, I'd like to challenge you to do something this week. Actually, two things, I suppose. For one week, one week only. Sounds like I'm giving you a sale. For one week and one week only. I think after you do this one week, you'll begin to make it a pattern in your life. The author here says, Fix your eyes on Jesus who even though he was facing the cross, endured the shame of the cross for the joy that was, that was set before him, lying before him. And he endured it all. I would challenge you to take this week and study the crucifixion. It's not Easter. It's not that time of year where we focus on that primarily. But I would challenge you this week. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Look at what he went through. Gain encouragement from it. Gain strength from it. Study the crucifixion. It's in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Study it this week. Make that your focus in your Bible study this week. You say, you know what? I haven't studied the Bible in a long time. Start there. Study the crucifixion this week and gain hope from it. Gain, gain encouragement from what Jesus went through for us that we can endure the things in life. And along with that, this week, I want to challenge you and challenge me to look to Jesus no matter what we see ahead of us. And to do that in some very practical ways. To let our prayers, to let your conversations, your thoughts, your emotions, even your Facebook status updates, for those of you that are on there, be pointed toward Jesus Christ in the race that you're now running. 
And for one week, discipline yourself in your prayers and your thoughts and your conversations and your emotions to say, I'm not going to look at the things of this world and what's going on in my life. I'm going to look toward Jesus. And I'll do it in those very practical ways. I believe that if you'll do that, that at the end of this week, you'll see more clearly the meaning of the sacrifice on the cross that Jesus gave for us. And you'll see more clearly Him through all the junk that lies before you. You're about to enter a marathon. Joy at the finish line is certainly possible, but it requires endurance in the race. Let's pray together. As we close this morning, as I said, I don't want you to hesitate for a second. If you believe that it's time for you to respond in a physical way to the Lord, invite you to come to pray alone, to take my hand, I'll pray with you, to bring somebody with you and say, would you pray for me? I want to run light. I want to run determined. I want to run focused so I can experience joy in my journey and joy in the finish line. I want the Lord's endurance in my life. There's a lot of stuff before me and I'm not sure how I'm going to handle it. Maybe this morning you'd say, you know what, I'm not going to hesitate. I'm going to come and pray. I'm not going to worry about what everybody thinks and what they might imagine is going on in my life. I'm going to pray. Maybe the prayer that you pray this morning is one to say, Lord, I, I recognize that apart from you, I have nothing. And I recognize through reading these verses this morning the sacrifice you made for me, and I want you in my life. And I want forgiveness for my sin. And I want eternal life. And you just tell him that right now at your seat. No magical words, but you'd say, Lord, I'm turning from that old life and I believe in you. From this moment on, I'm going to trust you. How do you need to respond this morning to the, to the words that we've seen in Scripture? Run light, run determined, run focused. Heavenly Father, we are desperate to fix our eyes on you. We pray you'd enable us to do that this morning. That you would show us where it is we need to run light, to lay aside anything that's in the way. Give us the strength to run determined no matter what we face. And we thank you that as we focus on you, that we receive encouragement and strength and joy in our journey. We pray in Jesus' name.